0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash loss. That's plushcare.com slash loss.
1: Hey there, Liberty listeners. Uh, Netta here, and I'm so excited to bring to you the first of many vendor partners that we're going to hook you up with. This is going to be not only the place where you get the download on how women are launching and growing their various ventures, but also on how you can take advantage of these perks that are going to be coming your way. And today we are going to introduce to you Canopy. You may have heard Canopy's interview. If you haven't, check out Sarah Magadoff. She's uh, one of the most... um, prolific designers that's out there doing some great work in branding and we're glad that you're going to be able to take advantage of her. If you're ready to build a brand that draws your dream customer close, reflects your values and ushers in your next phase of growth, you need to check out Canopy. Canopy is a boutique creative studio offering both graphic design and branding solutions for smart, confident entrepreneurs just like you ladies over the years, they've refined their process of design to ensure a customer experience that's simply unforgettable. I know this firsthand because Liberty has been able to take care of Sarah. Uh, I mean, to to take advantage. We do take care of Sarah, but we take advantage of Sarah and all that she's been able to, to offer us in terms of really taking a close look at who we're connecting to, how we want to connect them, and building that cohesive brand. Canopy does this by leveraging your unique differentiators and messaging to attract hearts, not wallets. And all this is topped off with exceptional design. To begin the Canopy process, you'll fill out a worksheet designed to evaluate your target audience, top performing competitors, visual style, and your mission – Canopy will then create a comprehensive brand rule book that will include a custom mission statement, core values, brand persona file, brand vocabulary, brand filters, and so much more. And trust us, when you have a lot of different people working on your brand, this really comes in handy. It becomes your guidebook and your rule book to all things that are your brand. They'll then create your brand's visual language by determining a color palette, type palette, mood board, photographic style, and finally set you up with a new shiny website, Marks, and any other chosen collateral so that you're ready to launch or relaunch like a pro. Now space is limited, so don't wait to act. Head on over to madebycanopy.com backslash liberty for her. Again, that's made by canopy, M-A-D-E-B-Y, C-A-N-O-P-Y dot com, backslash liberty for her to claim your spot. And they'll send you a free digital download with three simple tips for getting more done while working less. And now you can lead an even more enriched life, which is what they're all about. So check it out and don't forget to tell them Liberty sent you. Oh my gosh, you guys, it's our one year anniversary and we can't believe it's been a whole year that we've been able to spend time with you. Thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of our hearts for giving us your time and for tuning in. Through each of these interviews, we hope to inspire and equip you to consider your own possibilities. We want you to hear from different women pursuing various ventures to help ignite your curiosity. We also want to provide you with a peek behind the entrepreneurial curtain, giving you the real story to better support launching and growing your own dreams. Please let us know how we can better support you by emailing us at info at Any suggestions you have or any women you want to hear from, we want to know. We're always looking for ways to better scaffold this journey for you. So thanks again for making up this audience of 13,000, over 13,600 listens in 50 countries. Can you believe it, guys? We're so thrilled. And to help celebrate this milestone, we'd love to ask you to leave your rating and review on iTunes. I know a lot of you have asked, how do I do that? So here are a few simple steps. If you have an iPhone, go to that purple Apple podcast icon. It's already on your phone. You didn't have to download it. So check that out. Click on it and go to the search option. You know, the little magnifying glass on the bottom. Type in Liberty Sessions. Click on the copy that will pop up. Then you'll see my face. Click on that giant picture. Then scroll down to the bottom where it says rating and review. Click on it and write a review. Leave us your favorite moments. Share what you like about the podcast and leave us a star rating too. We'd love to see that. We know it takes a minute, but it's super helpful to know what you like. We also want to be able to tell our advertisers that we're worth spending their ad dollars with. That's what's going to sustain this show long term. So please leave us this rating and review. And now on to the show. Hello there, Liberty listeners. Welcome to another episode of Liberty Sessions. This week, you guys have the great pleasure, and I have, I, you have the great pleasure of listening to, I have the great pleasure of talking to Liz Dennery. Um, not only is Liz uh, a, a wealth of brand information and wisdom, but she's a friend. And so this is fun to be able to have this conversation with her. Liz uh, is the founder of SheBrand, and she's going to tell us all about it. Liz, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. It's fun to have you. Why don't you start by telling us a little bit uh, about SheBrand and what you've created with that company?
0: Sure. Um, You know, I I started SheBrand. I feel like it was at the intersection of my branding and marketing work that I had done for a really long time and my philanthropic work. Um, As you know, I had a public relations and marketing agency, Dennery Marks, for Mm -hmm. a decade. Um, And in the last year of having that agency, I was feeling really unfulfilled um, with my work. And was really trying to figure out my next step, my next evolution. Um, and I was driving home one night from a meeting with a mentee. Um, I had worked philanthropically for women in need in New York and then, uh, with Step Up Women's Network here in Los Angeles. And I was driving home and the word she brand literally just popped into my head. I call it a a universal download. (laughs) Um, and I literally had to pull over and, I felt like, oh, my gosh, this is such a simple thing, but why can't I use my 20-plus years of marketing and PR and branding experience and specifically help women? And Literally, within a month, a month and a half, I had downsized my agency. Um, I kept uh, just a small handful of clients because financially, it made sense to do so while I built another company, and SheBrand was born. and That was towards the end of 2008, and then SheBrand was born in the beginning of 2009.
1: I think I was meeting you right at the tail end of uh, Dennery Marks, because I remember being introduced to you um, as the founder of that, and you were also launching She Brand. So it was right around that time that I believe we first met. Is that right? Yeah,
0: it, it was an exciting time. Yeah, when you had um, LTD. Yeah,
1: that's right. That's right. And yep. you were also, you talk about your work with Step Up, which was actually really um you were a great part of that in the launching years and in the startup years. How did that inform what you wanted to create with SheBrand?
0: You know, I was working with um, at-risk teen girls. One of the things that Step Up is so well-known for and does so beautifully is mentoring young girls between ninth uh, and 12th grades and, and preparing them for college um, you know, and, and as you know, they've expanded exponentially. They started yeah. here in Los Angeles, like 18 years ago, and now they're in New York and Chicago and other cities coming soon. And um, I was introduced to the organization when I moved to LA 15, 16 years ago, and was just really... Um, impressed with the um, dynamic women that were involved. And so I got involved and I started volunteering and teaching some classes and interviewing skills and networking skills with some of the girls. And I think that it really connected me to a place of service and, and how I wanted to be more of service in my work. And of course, through my agency, You know, I was doing some things, I think, that were creatively stimulating for me. Mm -hmm. You know, brand development for both individuals and, you know, lifestyle and fashion brands and creative direction, which I love. But I think the piece that was missing was more of, you know how am I going to change the world? You yeah. know, what is, my, what is my contribution going to be? Um, and because of my mentorship role with Step Up and then eventually uh, joining their board and then chairing the board, um, I realized, wow, I, I can really make a significant impact having had all of this experience mm-hmm. um, and having worked with big brands for such a long time, you know, why can't I apply that specifically to women and also work with companies that market to women, helping them to communicate more effectively and to connect with women. Um, so that's really where it came from.
1: And I did, I asked that specifically because I know that you were working with um, sort of glamorous brands and glamorous individuals and notable celebrities and <laughs> have doing this other work which I think, you know, in our twenties and even in our thirties to some degree is the dream. That's the goal. When you go into public relations, like you had achieved that. And I wondered if the step up work had caused you to sort of pause and say, well, wait a minute, how can I impact through, not just as a volunteer, not that that was just a just, but how can I also do that uh, through my work? Um, and I just, I believed, I guess, knowing you that that was part of the equation, that was part of the pulling over at the side of the road and saying, well, wait a minute, there's got to be something else here. Is that true? Or am I making that up? Because
0: yes, I I think to a certain extent, it certainly grounded me Mm -hmm. quite a bit. Um, And it was funny, because in all my years of working in in PR and marketing, um, you know, over the years, as I was doing it for a long time and became more and more experienced. I started to have, and, and I started to get older. Um, I had I <laughs> younger women coming to me, and and you know, with a little bit of stars in their eyes uh-huh. and seeing the glamour of it all. And it, it from the. From the outside looking in, it can be, particularly, you know, I worked in New York for six years. I've been in L.A. for 15 years. It can look very glamorous from the outside. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I started my career in fashion working at Harper's Bazaar. So, you know, it sounds wonderful. And there were some amazing experiences. And, and you know, I certainly was able to build an incredible network. But the reality is, you know, maybe it's glamorous about 5 to 10% of the time. And the rest of the time, it's just really hard work.
1: Sure. And did that, did that inform the kind of day you wanted to have the kind of week you wanted to have when you thought about what she brand could be, you'd done sort of the hustle part of it. Were you looking also to pivot from a lifestyle point of view? You know, it it wasn't until
0: I had my son
1: Mm -hmm.
0: that I really looked at you know, a, a change in lifestyle and a change in schedule and and how I wanted to live my life. And, and, you know, flexibility became an even higher priority. Um, I think as entrepreneurs, we want to own our own schedule. I think it's one of the many reasons that we leave the nine to five or, or the nine to nine world. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the, the irony of course, is you know when you start a business and and particularly in those early years you know you're working even more hours right because it becomes a twenty four seven type of thing, but you own it so it's it's a completely different thing. But but I think actually having a child really changed my perspective um, and my values even of you know what's really important. How do I want to spend my time? Um, you know I've always had a really strong work ethic and I I love my work um, most days. And so, you know, for me, it's more of, you know, the balance of, okay, when do I want to work? How much do I want to work? And, you know, when can I find the time to do other things that I love? And of course the highest priority, which is spending time with my son.
1: Sure. Of course. And so when you thought about what she brand could be, um now that you had a son and you thought about the way you could create an offering that allowed for that flexibility did that play a role in um how you perhaps changed your day-to-day um work within the within the agency i know you have brand breakthrough consultation i know you have the she brand audit you were working one-on-one with some people that had come you know kind of you carried over from Dennery Marks, like what, what shifted lifestyle wise and what did you create to accommodate that flexibility?
0: I think, and, and to be totally candid, it's really only been in the last couple of years because even though I downsized my agency, I still, I, I was a little bit split because I still maintained the agency model for a long time Mm -hmm. when I started SheBrand, you know, because I had worked with larger brands for so long, I continued to work with them. And, you know, so much of it is word of mouth when you've been in the industry for a long time. So I continued to work with large brands, with retainer clients, and I was also working with individuals, you know, the services that you mentioned, like the SheBrand audit and, you know, the brand consultations that I do. Now, I'm much less of an agency model, which was very intentional um, because in my experience, having run my own agency for a long time, um, you know, it's incredibly time consuming. Um, you know, and I also didn't, you know, when I had my PR firm, I had, you know, quite a few employees and, you know, lots of independent contractors. And now um, I can operate on a leaner um or in a leaner way, right? Where I have more virtual uh independent contractors. Sure. You know, we, we have people on our team in Chicago, we have people on our team in New York. Um and then of course there are a couple of us here. And I actually prefer that. Um, and it definitely fits into my intention to have more flexibility Um, And to spend more time with my son.
1: And so what are the things that, so there are people listening that are wondering, well, what are those things? How do you create that flexibility? How do you package your work so that it allows for that sort of flexibility? Can you tell us a little bit about that?
0: Sure. You know, one of the biggest things is, you know, I batch my days. So I don't see clients on Mondays and Tuesdays. Mm -hmm. Um, Mondays are writing and admin days. Um, Tuesdays, I often will, I will take meetings, um, not necessarily client meetings, but other things that I'm working on. Um, it, it might actually even be personal meetings and then Wednesdays and Thursdays are client days. Um, and that's when my assistant books, um, whether I'm meeting with somebody in person or whether it's virtually or over the phone, um, you know, those days are for client calls and meetings. And then Fridays, you know, (laughs) I try to, you know, what, what I call fun Fridays and, you know, meet a girlfriend or two for lunch, um, you know, do something, (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That today's yeah. Friday. That's right. Um, you know, but Friday is a little bit of a wild card, which okay. I don't mind. Um, you know, and if, if I want to plan a long weekend away, then Friday has more flexibility. Um, but batching, um, I have found for me works tremendously well.
1: So you're still meeting with people one-on-one. I think that's what I'm trying to get at. People who are listening can take away from this, that It's the way you're managing your time. It's not that you've created a mechanism within the work that you're doing that has grouped people together to create digital or, you know, online virtual programs. It's not that you're saying it's just the way I manage my days and my weeks that's changed.
0: Yes. However, however, I am a big believer in leveraging your time. So for example, you know, as you know, um, my book just came out and we are (laughs) over the summer. Yeah. We're going to be working on putting together a program that takes the book to the next level. Um, and most likely, uh, launching it, um, in early fall. Um, but definitely before the end of the year, um, that will Take people through the book and beyond, and will also give them access to me in a group setting. Okay. Um, so, so we are doing that. Absolutely. I'm a big believer in both. I'm, I'm a big believer in, you know, multiple avenues of reach, multiple avenues of income, um, multiple avenues of creativity. I get bored pretty easily. So I like variety.
1: Yeah. I, I, I hear you sister (laughs) loud (laughs) and clear. So let's talk about style and substance. I'm eager to get to this. So the name of the book is style and substance, how to create a compelling brand. And you of course are the perfect person to write this. Um, And by the way, congratulations on your first day, you hit the number one best Best seller in both branding and marketing for small businesses on Amazon. That's no small Thank feat. Thank you. That's huge. I,
0: it was it was exciting and extremely humbling. Yeah. Netta, at the same time because I I truly did not expect that right out of the gate. So it was amazing.
1: Well, I think, you know, and and I want to talk about that. Um h- how you did that and how years of work and years of relationship building and years of not just building a network but maintaining that network um, comes into play when you then put out something like this. it's It's the quality of the work that you've done that led people to go on and then buy this. I mean, it's it's no it's no small accident. And a lot of times when we talk about putting out anything, a book, a podcast, a magazine, a radio show, a conference, whatever it is you're doing, when you have that platform, when you've built that platform, um, you earn the ear of the listener. You earn their money. You earn, you know, uh, their time reading. And I think you've done that, and you've done that well. So I'm surprised that you were so Thank surprised. You. I mean, I hear the the humility in that, but you did your homework, um, and you've done your homework for for a long time. So it's it's yes. not a surprise to me.
0: <laughs> well, as as they say, you know, it it, it uh, took ten years yeah. to be. An,
1: a success, yes. right? Or an overnight success. Yes. We actually have that exact quote from Marley, a friend of both of ours, who yes. said that she said it took 20 years to become an overnight success. Yes. So it's, yep. that's true. That's true. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit. Um, I mean, I think we can glean a lot from the title, but tell us a little bit about what the book is about. And I want to know why you wrote the book. There are so mm. many things out right now on the importance of brand. And I think social media has really brought that to the forefront for the layperson. Those of us who come from a marketing uh, or communications background knew that, but now it's, a, it's a whole new world. Um, yes. is that why you did it? Tell, tell us what's behind that.
0: Well, there, there are a couple of reasons. Um, you know, and the first, which is a more surface reason. It's not less important, but um, you know, I I really saw a need for it. I saw nothing else in the marketplace that effectively did the brand foundation work, which is the work that I do with so many clients. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I see so many women putting the cart before the horse when it comes to marketing their businesses, you know, and they get whiplashed by every bright, shiny marketing object. Mm -hmm. And they're wondering why nothing's working and they're not making money and they're not as successful as they know they can be. And I think a big part of that is because they haven't done the brand foundation work, which is really an archeological dig, if you will, of your brand. It's figuring out, you know, Who am I? What do I stand for? How do I want to be perceived in the world? Why am I doing the work that I'm doing? You know, who am I doing it for? What am I delivering? What's my promise of value? All of these are really, really important questions. Mm. Um, You know, in addition to how am I different? You know, if I'm gonna stand out, I need to differentiate myself. Um, and so style and substance, it, it's a workbook. So it, it is meant to be worked through. It's, it's, it's a bigger paperback. It's eight by 10 and there's plenty of space for writing in it. There's lots of questions. It's the same questions and exercises that I've used with clients for years and years. And so I wanted to create a valuable resource that was less than $20 that, you know, many, many Women anywhere could buy, and that it would be tremendously valuable for them if they use it. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that was sort of the surface reason of of why I wanted to do it. I saw a need. I saw that there wasn't already a great resource out there, and you know, here was my twenty five years of experience. And I thought, you know, I want to channel this into a book, into a workbook, into a guide. Um, And and that was, you know. The, the first reason. The second reason, which I think is a much deeper reason, and, and in my mind, probably more important is, you know, I woke up uh, the day after the 2016 um, election, uh, you know, after I peeled myself up off the floor. <laughs> and, you know, I think many women yeah. did. And it was... A hard and day. It, it was A great awakening of sorts. You know, I had already been thinking about writing this book. I I would say I've been thinking about it for the last couple of years, but I hadn't started it, you know, as of November 2016. And so the election happened and I got really angry. Hmm. And, you know, I, I said to myself, okay, you know, I have to do something about this, you know, I work with women. I love women. I believe in women. And we need more women to step up to say, I can do this, to use, to connect to their voice, to use their voice, to take a seat at the table, to get involved. And, you know, to, we need more women in positions of power in the business world, in the political world. And we need to give women the tools and resources that they need so that they can make this happen, you know, whether it pertains to their confidence level um, and their self-esteem, whether pertains to their business acumen and the tools that they need, whether, you know, it's about building their brand, you know, so all of these things, right, which is why, you know, I I came up with uh, the tagline of building their confidence, their brand and their bank account, because, you know, it's all intermingled and it all is connected to power. Having a compelling brand as a woman in business equates to power Mm -hmm. and we need more women in power than we ever have before. And so that, amen. that was the deeper, yeah, yeah that was amen. the deeper reason.
1: And it's interesting as you talk about it and you specifically said in business, but I can imagine, I guess because I know people who have created ventures that are not necessarily for-profit businesses. They are writing books, not as a part of their business like you, but just independent of a business. They are starting nonprofits. They are, um you know, creating documentaries, producing documentaries. They're doing things that are not necessarily traditional business endeavors. And what I say is those are still entrepreneurial endeavors and they still require a brand. So I can imagine a lot of people... Wanting to get their hands on this book to develop their social media presence, their social media brand, so that they could launch something in the future that could be a money making company or so that they could align who they are, who their core values are with this nonprofit endeavor. So I just want people to, one, am I right? One hundred percent. And
0: what's so interesting about that, Netta, is you would be surprised at how many women say to me, both in passing or, you know, in a business environment, you know, oh, well, I- I'm a person, I'm an individual, yeah. I'm not a brand. And I say, well, <laughs> yeah, you are a brand. Whether you're intentional about it or not is the issue.
1: Yeah. And, and I mean, even even if I think of, you know, women who are I actually know somebody who puts together whatever she puts together for meals. Um, She creates really healthy meals. She puts them on social media and they're like a slew of moms that I know from our school that follow her. And she's not a blogger. She's not doing anything intentional. And I'm like, gosh, if she just branded this and created some consistency in what she was doing, she could one day monetize this if she wanted to. And I'm not trying to take a hobby. You know, not everybody needs to take their hobby and monetize it, but there's opportunity there if she just did X, Y, Z. And this kind of book is exactly what she probably needs to get it in her hands to do so or to see the value of it to see what it can right. what it what it can do um tell us about your decision to self publish because we've had this conversation um several times i can think of three particular times where we've had somebody go the direction of traditional publishing and we've had somebody talk about the the virtue of self-publishing and that it put more money in her pocket and she had more control. Um, tell us why you chose to do that um, and tell us how it's been now that you've actually done it.
0: Absolutely. Well, so, you know, don't forget as you know, my background is marketing and PR. So, you know, I have that as an asset for, you know, promoting my own book, if you will, number one, because, you know, and I I think a lot of people already know this, but, you know, big publishing house uh, publicity departments are notorious um, for not always doing such a great job. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Particularly for the first time author, uh, the small business person, um, you know that that's number one. Number two, you know I didn't want to go through a slow, dragged out process yeah. um, which you know can often you start sending pitch letters and proposals, and you know it can take a year, even longer. Even to get a proposal picked up, like I, I was ready. Like I said, when I woke up, you know, whatever was it, November seventh um, or November eighth, uh, twenty sixteen. Like I was ready to go. Um, so that was number two. I, I just, I was ready to go. I didn't want to wait for anyone else, and I already had the resources and the tools to do it myself. And then the third, and probably the most important piece is. I already have a platform. Yeah. And I already have an audience. And by the way, that's what book publishers are looking for yeah. anyway, right? So it's it's incredibly challenging, not impossible, but incredibly challenging today to get a book deal if you don't already have a platform or an audience, because book publishers are looking for that. You know, I, I just felt extremely confident in both my material and my ability. To get it out there, that to be totally candid, it, it didn't even really cross my mind to go the traditional route yeah, that you would do. I knew that I way. wanted yeah. to do this myself, and don't get me wrong, Nada. If you know, if a big publisher comes to me next month and says, you know, we really love this book and we want to get it out on an even larger scale you know would you have a conversation with us of course I would
1: sure you just validated everything that we've heard and having written a book myself my own experience I went through um, and and I realized how kind of lucky we were um, in in that we went through a big publisher and I say luck by saying we knew somebody who knew somebody who kind of turned things around quickly for us so that luck was somewhat created but in all honesty it was it was it was an unusual situation. So we got our book published by McGraw-Hill. What um, what I loved about what you said that's absolutely true is, and this was years ago, so we didn't have the support um, in terms of the publicity. We had a platform, which is why they agreed to, to do the book in the first place. And it was a small platform, but it was a platform. Um, the distribution was the biggest asset that they provided. And mm-hmm. uh, and you saying, look, don't get me wrong if somebody came to me and could scale this, of course, that would make all the sense in the world. Um the margin is something that you're not talking about and I'd love to talk about that because I think that's an important piece. What you get when you go through a major publisher is very, very little. Um and the distribution is sort of the only asset that you have, their ability to move it quickly. But even since I published, the landscape has shifted so much, not just because Amazon is available, but because of what you said, the marketing piece of it, the building a platform on multiple platforms, you know, or built on multiple mediums is uh, through social media is something that just didn't exist back then. And so your ability to scale that even within your own means and your own sort of micro economy has shifted. And then your ability, again, going back to the margin issue is you can just make more. It just, it, it makes on paper a ton more sense.
0: Yes. Although I, I will share with you that I'm really not making very much on this book. Part of it is because it's an expensive book yeah. to produce, be- being a creative director. And, you know, for me, the look and the feel, the texture, the everything brand. about the book. It had to be consistent br- with your brand. 100%. Yeah. And so it's a full color book. Yeah, It's eight by 10 in size. It has a matte cover. Um, I mean, it's a beautiful physical book. And so it's, very expensive to produce but that's a choice that i made mm-hmm. because i went in knowing that the book itself was not necessarily going to make me a lot of money that that wasn't even in the top 10 reasons of why i wrote the book mm-hmm. um but i knew that you know there are other people who you know are going into it saying well i really want to make money on my book or i have to make money on my
1: book and you absolutely can you probably just can't publish a full color eight sure. by ten workbook. <laughs> sure, and you know what? Honestly, I, I mean, you say you know people who would who want to do that and and can do that, and I actually don't. I don't. I think most people I know have done what you're talking about. However, they've published that they really, unless they are, you know, uh, an author who's written multiple times and that is their livelihood. That's different. But for mm-hmm. the most part, um, people who are experts who are putting something out to uh, to share their expertise are generally doing it in an effort to build that brand and to scale that information and it's not always a, it's not directly a money making effort now my guess is that by doing this you are going to have more people knocking on your door and saying can I hire you one on one that that's going to be a byproduct of that is that was that part of the intention you know, I think the intention for me is is more long-term with some of the
0: programs and the products that I want to create moving forward. You know, if, if as a byproduct, there are more people that come knocking at the door and saying, you know, we want a consultation, we want an audit, then that's great. But as you and I know, as one person, um, you know, you yeah. can only handle so many clients and, you know, what happens for me, um, which is a great thing. Um, you know, I often end up having a waiting list because of that. Um, you know, and so I can only do so much and, and I have very, I have pretty strong boundaries around what we were talking about earlier about how much I'm actually willing to do, you know, one-on-one, which is why, you know, the, the book was sort of the first step. And then the next step is to create um, you know, a digital program, which I, I created a program back in 2012 just as a test. Um, I don't know if you remember. I the do awesome remember brand. it
1: actually. I think we talked about it on, um, yeah. at, on LTD. Yeah, I do remember. Yeah. It.
0: And, you know, we had some great content and, you know, I really just did it as a test to see, um, how much I wanted to be involved. Um, and so it was a great training ground for me for that, um, this time around, you know, and, and some of the content is still completely relevant and, you know, I I would include, um, but I want to do it a little bit differently and, you know, make it more timely for today. Um, you know, but, but that's really, um, Sort of the next step, the next phase from the book, you know, yes, the book is a visibility booster. There's no question because if you look at it from a media standpoint, you know, the media, they're, they're not going to be interested in you, you know, just because you think that you're fabulous and that you do good work, right? <laughs> there, there needs to be more of a story there. There needs to be something that's compelling. There needs to be either something that's brand new. And interesting, or and or there needs to be something that's tied into the current conversation or something that's going on from a current event standpoint. You know, when I teach people about, you know, being press ready and, and how to work with the press, I talk about that a lot. Like, you know, you just knocking at a reporter or a journalist's door and saying, Hey, I'm here. I want to be covered. You know, that definitely does not work, right? Um, however, a book. Um, with great information is something new. And particularly if there isn't a lot out there like that. So again, sort of going back to why I wrote the book um, you know, yes, it's, it's a great visibility booster. It's another credibility booster and it sort of launches the place of now being able to create what I hope to be a really incredible program to reach even more women and give them more access to me. Sure.
1: Which we can't wait for. (laughs) <laughs> so Liz, SheBrand not only specializes in supporting women, and you've articulated that really well, but there's a give back component. You talked about your own nonprofit work um, with Step Up and the, how meaningful it is for you to support women. And in this particular political climate, you've hit on those things. Would you consider uh, SheBrand to be mission driven as a company? Would you, is that part of what you're doing on this earth? <laughs>
0: Absolutely, you know. I I think that it is one of the biggest reasons that I started She Brand in the first place. You know, I I truly want to create an army of badass women, which Mm. to me, I love that visual. (laughs) Yeah, I hear (laughs) Beyonce in the background. (laughs) There, there you go. But but it really means, you know, I, I want so many more women to connect to their voice, to mm-hmm. use their voice, to not be afraid, to step into their power. I mean, we, unfortunately, we still live in a very patriarchal society. You know, that that is changing and the tide is turning. Um, and there are great campaigns out there right now, um, you know, where we see that happening in real time. Um, but yes, the mission is 100% to create more confident, successful women who are making money because money equals freedom and often mm-hmm. power, mm-hmm. um, you know, who can then take a seat at the table, you know, and so whether that's running their own business, getting invo- more involved in their community, civically you know, running for office. Um, I've gotten really involved with, she should run in the last year, um, because our missions are very aligned, mm-hmm. um, just in terms of getting more women into leadership roles, um, you know, I, I just think that the world will change when women step up.
1: Sure. I, I want to, you said something that was key there. And before we transition into where we pick your brain and get all the goods on branding here, um, you said something important about you, uh, picked, a, an organization that you're aligned with. And I think a lot of times, uh, a company, a brand will, say, okay, I need to give back. Um, I sell jewelry and um, I think I I like dogs, so I'll give to the Humane Society. And they don't think about core, and there's nothing wrong with that, but they don't think about how their brand connects on a deeper level with the altruistic work or the philanthropic work that they're connecting to. And often then they're, consumer, their their client doesn't get how those two things gel as opposed to it makes all the sense in the world that she brand, that Liz Dennery would um would actually be um, aligned with um something that Encourages women to run for office, something that encourages women to kind of take hold of who they are and move the needle forward. Those things, those things are sort of symbiotic, but I I see a lot of brands that miss that point.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, you know, not to be contrarian, but I also think, I mean, yes, it's. It's great that, you know, many of the nonprofits, and not all of them, but many of them that I support are very aligned with my mission. But on the flip side of that, if a jewelry designer Um, is a huge animal lover and supports animal rights. And, you know, I see no problem with being vocal about that and incorporating that into her business because the reality is that's a, that's a brand twist. That's a differentiator. So, you know, I truly believe that the more transparent we are, the more authentic we are, the more real we are about, you know, what we personally are passionate about and can bring that to the table. I actually think it helps us to attract more like-minded people, you know, more people that believe what we believe, that value what we value. Um, you know, I've been talking a lot lately about, you know, like the, the 20% of people that are going to love you no matter what. Um, there's a great statistic out there that it's something like, you know, 60% of people are kind of lukewarm. They won't, Mm -hmm. you know, they're neither here nor there about Mm -hmm. you or your brand. And then 20% are just going to love everything that you do. As you Mm -hmm. start to build your audience, you'll see those statistics in play. And then 20%, Can't stand you. Yeah, there's just something about you that rubs them the wrong way. Some of them are going to be haters, and that's a good thing. It's a good thing to be polarizing. It's a good thing to be different. It's a good thing because you don't you don't want to be. There's no way possible that you can be everything to everyone, right? There's so much noise out there, and you want to get extreme clarity. And, you know, I say this a lot, but it's like putting a light on your head, like a radar, like a lighthouse so that the people who are meant to work with you, the people who are meant to buy from you can actually see you the more clear you are about who you are and the more effectively you're able to communicate that.
1: I love that. And I and thank you for giving us permission to do things that are not necessarily brand aligned, but are but are sort of human aligned, like they bring out our humanity and it ends up becoming an extension of, of, of our brand. So thanks for making that clarification. Of course. I love it. Well,
0: and by the way, it may be brand aligned for that particular person, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, okay. So that's an interesting distinction. You're making the brand more the person than the company where I was making the brand more the company. Is even,
0: that- even if it were the company even if it were the company and the company, you know, it's a jewelry house that supports animal rights. Right. It could be brand aligned for that particular brand. And I guarantee you that they are going to attract people who love animals, other animal activists. Those people are going to buy right. their jewelry right. that by word of mouth, they're going to tell their friends who also love animals. So, you know, we sometimes... We sometimes are putting people in boxes and not allowing them the differentiation, if you will. But that's yeah. sometimes, that sometimes what makes a brand stand out is something unexpected.
1: I, lo- I love that. And you are transitioning us really well into the next section <laughs> where we are going to pick your brain even more. So when you released um, Style and Sub- Substance, um, you really wanted to help women kind of further identify and develop what it means to have a brand, how to develop a brand. What do you think has been the biggest distraction for women in doing that and in not creating a focused message? Huh. Where do we
0: start? You know, I mean, I think that, I mean, we just, it's so noisy. I mean, we live in a noisy, cluttered, distracted world. And I think, as I mentioned earlier, you know, what I see with a lot of the women that I work with and that talk to me, you know, they just think that they have to be everywhere and that they think they have to do everything. And they sometimes are focused not necessarily on the wrong things, but the wrong things too soon. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they haven't done the brand foundation work, but they are, you know, hiring a graphic designer to, you know, and a um, social media strategist to do Facebook advertising and Instagram advertising. And they're building, you know, a huge new website and spending thousands and thousands of dollars, but they haven't taken the time to drill down their narrative and their story and their bigger why and you know what is it that they're delivering and why is that important to their audience like they haven't done any of those things and they haven't put together a brand handbook you know probably yeah. 98% of the people that I have worked with and not just individuals netta but companies, large companies people as that well, you would think
1: would have done that work have yeah, not have not It it sort of, to me, I love analogies. So forgive me, Liz, and forgive me, Liberty (laughs) listeners. But um, it's a little bit like when a couple gets engaged, and the woman is all about the party. The, 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 you know, the the actual event, the wedding, and not about the marriage. It sounds mm. like you're saying, um, that's great. You should have a pretty site. You should, you know, maybe consider some social media ad buys. But what, what is it? here where's the meat and what are you really saying and doing and how are you attracting people that will stick am i hearing that
0: that that's right i mean and that really goes back to the title of the book yeah. you must have the substance yeah right like if you just have style it's pretty yeah it looks good maybe but if if the shell is empty if the narrative falls flat then you are not compelling and you are not going to attract clients you know or your right audience there's no way it just doesn't happen or they
1: show up once and then they're like there's not really anything here so uh, Mm -hmm. you know thanks but I'll move on so now I'm going to ask a question that's on the flip side of that is what are the things we should be doing to create an iconic brand like what are the things that you would say really spend time on this or iconic brands have spent time on this
0: I mean, it, it really is about brand clarity, right? Mm-hmm. It really is everything that is in this book. But I will tell you, you know, one of the first exercises that I have people go through is, you know, we talk about brand attributes, which are, you know, the words um, or group of words that... You know, you want to be known for it's how you want to be perceived. So I walk people through an exercise, you know, and say, pretend that you are the invisible woman at a party. And there are a group of people talking about you, you know, and maybe it's a few acquaintances, a couple of friends and some people that you don't know. And, you know, so they're chatting away and you are leaning in and you can overhear what they're saying. What are three or four words? that you absolutely want to hear them say about you. Mm. How do you want to be described? How do you want to be perceived? Because once you, and I call it your brand filter, if you will, because once you know that, once you are crystal clear on how you want to be perceived, then you can start setting the stage for helping to create that perception with everything that you do, everything that you put out there, how you sure. speak, how you shake someone's hand to your website, your business card, you know, if you're doing speaking engagements, everything.
1: How, what your social media feed looks like. I just think exactly. like if you had that, those those words as a barometer to shoo, should mm-hmm. I put this image out or not, or what should the copy be underneath this, it That's could guide right. everything and then everything becomes consistent as well. Um, That's right. And
0: consistency is incredibly important.
1: Yeah. So um, I want to go back to the self-publishing question. What would you want our listener who's considering self-publishing or considering either, you know, going in either direction, what would you want her to know about what she can expect uh, if she takes the self-publishing route? Uh, Things to be aware of, things to look forward to, things to... Uh, how much money <laughs> you should have in the yeah. bank? Like, what are the things <laughs> that you want to say to her? Um,
0: I think the most important thing is that before you walk down that path, to consider building an audience first, building mm-hmm. a community first. You know, even if it's just, you know, the old adage of a thousand raving fans. Yeah. You know, if you are somebody that wants to put a book baby out into the world, but yet you know, you, you have not built a network. You don't have a list. Um, you know, you haven't already started to build a community around your work or, you know, even on social media. And, and I say that um, with a caveat because we don't own our social media platforms, sure. right? The only real estate that we own is our website. Um, however, you know, if you have a significant um, following, for example, on Instagram, that could be helpful. You just don't own that following. Um, so I think the most important thing to consider first is do I already have an audience in place? Because if I'm going to self-publish, I'm not going to have the weight or the scale of a major publishing house behind me putting Mm -hmm. my book out there. Like it's going to be a hundred percent up to me. So do I have the audience? Number one. And number two, do I have the know-how in terms of getting my book out there, right? Like pitching the media, sending it to um, freelancers and writers and producers and, you know, that sort of thing. Because I think the most disheartening thing in the world is when somebody does that and they don't have an audience and, you know, they, they put their book up on their website and they hear crickets.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was just talking to a client the other day about, it wasn't about a book, but just a new brand that she had developed. And she said, you know, you spend all this time and energy and here. She is somebody who's been in business over 12 years and is running Mm. a very successful business. And she said, we've developed this other arm and it's pretty and it's beautiful and we're doing all the right things and the product's ready to go and inventory is full and we're, we're all geared up and we, you know, push the live button on the website and crickets And so even when you have a built-in audience, that can be the case. So all the more reason to make sure you're engaged with those people and that they are a thousand raving fans, not just a thousand people on Instagram. Uh, I think that's a good distinction. One thing that you you did that I want to point out, you just, so you said earlier, you know, releasing these books to, you didn't use the word influencers, but you talked about media, but you did something that was so smart that's probably to, to most people makes all the sense in the world, but I just want to, I just want to share it with our audience. You made sure you had a, a digital copy of your book and you could release that to people that you wanted to help you spread the story that the book was available. And I that's thought that right. was such a smart thing to do because it's an expense to get rid of. I mean, you just talked about how much it cost you to make the book and um, now you've got to, You've got to let go of one of those um, hard copies. You've got to package it and you've got to find the address of the person that you need to send it to, uh, the snail mail address, versus the email that you can get this out to. Now, I know people who wouldn't do that because they would say, well, I don't want to give this away. I don't want to, I just, I worked really hard. I need somebody to to be able to to buy the hard copy or I only want to give the hard copy out because then they can't like send my digital copy to five other people, which of course I won't. But what? why did you give yourself permission to do that? And why would you tell somebody else, hey, it's okay, you need to do this?
0: You know, I think that it's very much coming from an abundant place, yeah. number one. <laughs> yeah. um, I, no. I just do not have a scarcity mentality. I, I truly believe that there is, you know, plenty of work for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that we have to be true to ourselves and know that, you know, our, our work stands alone. And I, I also realized that somebody could, you know, take the digital copy and use the work as their own, and but they're not me, yeah. and they never will be. And so I'm, I'm very confident in that. You know, more importantly also though, I, I just want to get it to as many people as possible. And as we were talking about earlier, like I, I wasn't looking at the book itself as something that was going to make me mm-hmm. a lot of money, not the book. Maybe, you know, as we talked about down the line, as I create more and there's more visibility and, you know, those types of things, absolutely, then it creates, you know, more income for me um, and the ability to, to live the life that I want to live. But, you know, I I never even really thought twice about it from a place of, oh, you know, I don't want people to just give this away because I actually do. And I've had a couple of, I had a woman reach out to me on Facebook, um, who's in India, who wasn't sure that she could get it. And I said, well, just give me your email address and I'll send you the digital copy. You know, oh, like, wow. I, I mean, it's, it's just, and and the people that buy it, you know, thank you so much. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's a beautiful book and I'm really proud of it. So, you know, when you spend the $18.99, you know, for the book, you are getting something really beautiful. Um, the digital copy by itself does not convey that. It's a sure. different experience. Well, it's and still... I can't wait
1: to get my copy to dog ear it, to you know, <laughs> circle some things, although it sounds so pretty, I might not want to put a pen to paper, <laughs> but there there are some things that I, I, I want to do um, that the the digital copy doesn't allow for. And just hearing you talk about your willingness to share this, not just with this woman in India, but just coming from this place of abundance makes me want to buy a copy. I, I want mm. to support that effort. So Thank you. Thank you for um, showing us how to do that and and how living in abundance um, can be be done. I mean, it's a great model, what you just said. Now, I want to go back to the election and um, I want to go back to you saying I I was angry. How do you take that anger and package it in your brand? And should we stay away from that or is that a good thing?
0: So... It's such a great question, by the way, and I, I spoke with somebody last week about this because she is a feminist as well and really wants to talk about, you know, the times that we find ourselves in and, you know, she wants to be involved politically, and but she's nervous and she feels like every time that she posts something that has like a political bent to it that, you know, people either respond negatively to it or they don't respond at all and she gets nervous and she takes it down. Um, you know, I'm a believer that that anger comes with so much information for us. It tells us what we value. It tells us what's important to us. It's it's a passion, right? And so, you know, what we were talking about with after the election, you know, I just was furious Mm -hmm. um, that a man who, you know, obviously is a sexual predator, is obviously a bigot and a misogynist and many other things as well, you know, could achieve the highest level of office in our country, you know, and, and the other people that he brought in with him likewise. Right. So, you know, I, yes, I got really angry. Um, and it's interesting because it did shape shift my brand a bit, you know, she brand evolved with me, mm-hmm. um, because I, I am very vocal, you know, I, I am a feminist, I'm, I'm a big believer in the word and, you know, it, it's one of the reasons with the book we have style and substance, you know, I, I love the ampersand because I think women get put into very confining boxes and we get labeled um, in a certain way and it's very black and white. and it couldn't be farther from the truth, right? Because we are multifaceted, we are dynamic, you know, so I can be a staunch feminist and love men, right? Mm -hmm. I can, you know, come from the fashion industry and still love style and fashion and love politics and want to be involved and be an activist. So I think it's very empowering in that way. So to circle back to your question in terms of anger, I think anger can tell us a lot about ourselves and what we value and what we care about and can help us connect to the, to our all important voice. And, you know, for some people, it might be a personal thing. For some people, it might bleed into their business, as it has for me, um, because so much of my business is supporting women, right? And women um, and marginalized communities and the LGBTQ community and, and you know, are at risk right now. And so it makes sense that it has affected the She Brand brand, sure, um, but I don't. I don't necessarily see anger as a bad thing at all. And I wrote a piece on the She Brand blog about six months ago called "Why Why Anger Is Good for Your Brand."
1: Mm-hmm. I, I think I'm listening to you, and I, being a recipient of the She Brand emails, have have seen how you have shaped or reshaped the brand because of this, because you are passionate, because it's, um, something of great import to you. But I, I want to just say this one caveat of you've been able to do it in a really meaningful way. And I don't, by that, I don't mean that you did it in a way that didn't piss people off. I'm not, I'm not saying we should water down our message, but you were able to, to articulate why it was important to you, what was important to you, um, And I think some people have to spend some time shaping that message so that um, we can better understand where they're coming from. Or it doesn't sound like they're shouting. It sounds, and even that I want to take back. I'm not sure there's anything wrong with shouting when there's something to shout about. But Mm -hmm. it's, I think there's a lot of noise out there that isn't helping It's just noise, Mm -hmm. and so I'm with you on the anger. But I just have to to say to those people listening that this doesn't mean you get on Facebook and rant. And if they want to know what we're talking about, you know, go on to to Liz's blog and check it out, and sign up for her for her emails. In fact, we will make sure that um, all of those things are hyperlinked in the show notes so that people can easily access not only your book, but your website and, and sign up for your, for your email. But I think there's, there's uh, something in there that just says, really be careful how you articulate so that you're bringing about meaningful change, not just screaming. Um, Right. And again, I think sometimes we need to scream and we need to shout. So I'm not saying that we don't. I think there's
0: a difference, Nada, between, you know, and, and yes, we can shout, but, but, you know, having an educated um, conversation with integrity, something that's respectful. There's a huge difference between the ranting and the insulting. Great
1: distinction. That's a great, we're going to hang on to that one. That's a great distinction. Yeah. 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 Um, Okay. I'm excited for people to actually read that blog post. Um, I've read it. (laughs) I like it. I think it's a good
0: one. I think it's powerful because, you know, it's not, it, it's actually not always easy for everyone to connect to what they're most passionate about. And anger can sometimes provide clues.
1: Yeah. No, I, that's a, it's it, I that's a great way to articulate that. And for people to sort of figure out what that is, what does What that does mean for them. And to go back to some other piece of wisdom you shared with us, like you don't, we don't really care about the 20%. Like if we're being really effective, the 20 that don't like us just reinforce that we have a strong brand identity, that we're, we are aligned with something and our core values are being revealed.
0: Exactly. Well, and, and I'd like to add to that, you know, as my brand has shifted, um, as I've become more vocal, as I've connected to even more of what's important to me, you know, people have unsubscribed from my list. I have Mm -hmm. gotten, you know, a hateful comment here or there or a hateful email. And sure, nobody likes getting hate mail and, you know, nobody likes to read, you know, nasty things, but, I actually think it's a good thing. Like I'm glad because, you know, we want to shed those people from our communities, from our tribes, because there, there's no place for them there, you know, and they're, they're never going to be your people. Um, so it's better that you find out and you let them go so that you create more space for the people who are meant, you know, that 20% that, you know, are going to love you and support you and
1: value the same things that you value. I love that. Thanks. Um, more wisdom from Liz Dennery, my friends.
0: Um,
1: <laughs> Liz Dennery Sanders. By the way, I keep forgetting the Sanders. I apologize. Um, <laughs> no, it's no worries. Can you go back to? You talked about how you block your days and and you create that flexibility. What apps, third party platforms, things that you're doing, um, practical things in your day, like what I just mentioned. What things are you doing on a regular basis to make your work and your life more efficient um, and just effective?
0: you know, some, it's, it's interesting because some of the things that are most, um, effective for me and produce, uh, the most productivity aren't necessarily apps. So two of the things that I do, and someone else asked me about this, um, recently one and, and when I'm doing them, by the way, because, you know, it, there are days when I fall off the wagon, but, you know, When I, the night before, or, you know, when I'm ready to close shop for the day, I write down and I put it on a post-it note on top of my to-do list, the three most important things that I need to get done the next day. Um, you know, and, and usually those things have to do with, you know, moving the needle in some way in my business. So if I'm working mm-hmm. on a program or if I'm working on a, a creative project for a client, you know, and there are a few tasks that need to get done. So that's what goes on that list. So three most important things. That's number one. Number two, when I'm working with my timer, it is magic. Um, Literally, I keep a it's small like your timer on your phone. Uh, I don't use the one on my phone. No. I actually have a small kitchen timer in oh. my office. Okay. And Love it's, it. it's kind of a riff off of the Pomodoro technique. Are you familiar mm-hmm. with the Pomodoro yeah. technique? Yeah. And it's working in, I think it's 20 minute increments, which I found too short for me. I mm-hmm. found that it, that was actually a bit distracting to, to be, you know, beeped every 20 minutes. So what I do is I set my timer for 50 minutes mm-hmm. and, you know, And I often use it on those specific three things. The three things that I want to get done that day, you know, is Brian Tracy, I think he has a book called Eat That Frog. Like, you know, do the things that you don't want to do or that you feel some resistance to for whatever reason, just get that done first because you will feel so good. And then the rest is just frosting on the cake, right? And so I set my timer for 50 minutes and then... And I don't, you know, check the, I turn the phone off. I don't check email or check email or social, you know, I'm working on whatever project I'm working on. And then for that 10 minutes, I get up, I stretch a little bit because I don't like to sit for, you know, long periods of time. And, you know, some of my clients are virtual, you know, some are, you know, New York or wherever. Um, or if I'm doing some writing, which I do a lot of, you know, you're sitting quite a bit. So I get up, I stretch, I walk around. Sometimes I take my shit pickles, my dogs, Lola and Henry for a walk, um, just to take a break. And then I go back and I set it for 50 minutes again. And I find that even if I just get two of those done, if I get three done, I'm a rock star. You know, <laughs> three cycles of 50 minutes, you can't even imagine how much you actually get done yeah. in that, you know, because we mess around so much. Yeah. You know, we check our and phone we and we check checking yeah, out email. Exactly. So, you know, those two things alone um, are huge productivity boosters for me. I also just recently, my online business manager uses um, Todoist. Um, and that is an app that I recently discovered in the last month and I have started using it because I, I'm very much a a paper and pen girl still. And I like having a handwritten to-do list. But what I was finding is, you know, I would have a notebook in my office and then I had a notebook by my bed and I carry one in my purse (laughs) Uh and it was just kind of all, my to-do lists were all over the place. Um, and so what I realized is the one thing that is always with me is my phone. (laughs) So I've started trying to transition myself to an electronic to-do list using Todoist and so far so good. You know, I used it through the the preliminary couple of weeks of the book launch. Um, and it felt really good to have everything in one place, and also just to check them off as they got done. Obviously,
1: I love that, um, and, and we'll have that uh, included in the show notes, uh, Liberty listeners. Don't don't worry, got <laughs> all of all of Liz's goodies will be um, there for you for the taking. Um, any apps besides that one, or is that kind of? That's the I one. use
0: I use the Dropbox app. Okay. I mean it's not yeah. sexy, but um I really it's like Dropbox real. a lot. Yeah, yeah. No, Dropbox um, is for real. And I also recently transitioned our email hosting to um Office 365 yes. in the cloud mm-hmm. because I was just tired of I wanted everything um consistent across all my platforms and devices so my laptop to my desktop to my phone to the iPad you know everything and my you know I have a virtual assistant in Chicago and I have an assistant here in LA but now my virtual assistant in Chicago has access to everything, um, because she's on the system as well. And That's so, awesome. you know, we're, we're kind of loving that.
1: That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so really quickly, just one sentence, one bit of parting entrepreneurial advice that you have for our listeners.
0: Oh God, now you're limiting me to one sentence. I know. Um, I know. I would say, can I have, uh, two different ones? I think the I'll, first I'll thing you is, the hook. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Yeah. You know, as cliche as that sounds, like I just see people running around like crazy. And in that same vein, I I actually think is um, you have to slow down to speed up. that's good. And particularly when it comes to your brand, because my bet is a lot of people listening to this are – feeling frustrated, you know, and feeling like they have to be everywhere and be doing everything. And they feel like, you know, there are other people ahead of them that are getting somewhere and they feel like they're falling behind. And, you know, social media is terrible for that, you know, in terms of that feeling. And so what I would say is you need to slow down and figure out, you know, what is it? that I want to do in the world? How do I want to convey that? How do I want to be perceived? You know, take the time to put a brand handbook together so that you can then be really strategic and focused in how you approach your marketing.
1: I love that. We're going to hashtag slow down to speed up. Um, yes, and we'll give you full that. credit. We'll give you full <laughs> credit. Okay. We're not letting you off the hook quite yet. So we do this okay. fun little thing where, um, I ask you six questions. We call it our quick six and you just give me whatever comes to mind. All right. It's so a okay. way for okay. our listeners to get to know you a little bit more. So do you prefer a nine to five or a flex schedule? I think we know.
0: Obviously. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it doesn't even need to say <laughs> it. And no then contest. would you
1: prefer vacationing in the mountains or on the beach? The beach. And working from home or an office?
0: Um, both, actually. I would say working from anywhere.
1: You just, you just like to be able to be flexible. Flexible. I mean,
0: I have an office separate from my home. Yeah. Um, but I get some of my most productive focus, like writing and content creation work done at a local coffee shop.
1: Okay. So just kind of whatever the mood, wherever the mood takes you.
0: Intentionally, yes. Okay.
1: Oh, good. That's a, that's a good distinction. Um, working alone or with a team, what's your preference? Both. And is it, um, both all the time or is that also carved out? So,
0: so that's a great, um, um, point. I I need both. I need time Mm -hmm. alone, particularly for writing content creation, you know, focused strategy, but I also love, absolutely love collaboration and I have such a great team. Um, and by the way, that also goes with, you know, some of the clients I work with that have their own teams, um, some of the larger brands, you know, sort of collaborating with them. So mm-hmm. I need both.
1: It's sort of that happy. creative energy that, that yes. comes from other people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I always say, this is the hardest question. So take your time if you must, do you prefer mm-hmm. Thai or Mexican food? Mexican. Oh, not even a question. You went no, right No, I mean,
0: I, I really like Thai, but I love... <laughs> okay. I mean, you know, if people ask me what would be my last meal, you know, guacamole and chips would probably yeah. be in there somewhere. I will be
1: with <laughs> you because I mean, not okay, it's because good. I want to be there for you, but also because it would be my last meal too. <laughs> 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 um, and then this podcast is called Liberty Sessions. Our mm-hmm. brand is Liberty. Um, and we really... We we came up with that name because we wanted to see women liberated through pursuing their own venture, pursuing what's important to them and their calling. What does it mean for you, Liz, to be liberated?
0: It it means to be a choice. Hmm. It it means to have the power to choose to live life on your terms.
1: That's it. I think you just dropped the mic. That's <laughs> that's that is it. Liz, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for um, your wisdom, for making yourself available. I am so excited to get my hands on a hard copy. And again, listeners, um, we will have all of Liz's good advice, URL, um, and other platforms listed in the show notes for you. And Liz, why don't you just tell us really quickly, um, again, we'll have a link, but for those driving around right now and don't have a chance to be in front of a computer, where can we get your book?
0: Actually, if uh, you go to shebrand.com forward slash book. Okay. Um, I'm not sure when the podcast is going to run, but at least for the next few weeks, we have a bunch of awesome launch goodies that we're giving away. So when anyone buys the book, they also are going to get a copy of my new program, um, Build a Better Brand in Seven Days, which actually is very complimentary to go through at the same time as doing the book. Um, we also have uh, a brand clarity worksheet. Um, and I'm going to be doing an exclusive Q&A call in March for everyone that buys the book right now.
1: Awesome. Um, and so
0: that they will get a spot on that Q&A call with me. Oh,
1: gosh. Okay. We don't want to miss any of that. So we'll, we'll yeah. definitely list that, that link. Yeah, it's easy. It's just shebrand.com forward slash book. Okay. Awesome. Liz, thanks again. And Liberty listeners, we will see you guys next week. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Liberty Sessions is broadcast on all platforms, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, and review Liberty Sessions on Apple Podcasts. It helps us to know if these episodes are inspiring and equipping you to launch and grow your own ventures. You can also find us every day on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Liberty For Her. And please leave a comment using the hashtag Liberty Sessions. We want to hear your thoughts, suggestions, and brilliant ideas. Liberty Sessions is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Wyndham, and music by Jordan Flower.